Good morning. Merry Christmas. Um, I spoke last night uh, out of the passage in Micah 5 uh, on the insignificant town of Bethlehem and ended with the uh, understanding that what we are all seeking is peace, that the desire of our hearts through all of our strivings and all of our fears and all of our stresses and, and anxieties and everything that's going on, there is a longing for peace in our lives. Let's pray before we go into our this morning's homily. Oh, Father, we pray that you would use this broken vessel this morning to speak your words of peace. They are your words, and I pray that you would pierce our hearts with them. I pray that you would comfort our hearts, Lord, with your words of peace. Break through the hardness of our hearts, and Lord, help us that we would welcome Emmanuel into our hearts and trust you, Jesus, our Prince of Peace, that we may have true, everlasting peace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. That's the reason why we, we spend so much energy and anxiety and, and trouble during our political seasons. We're wanting somebody who's going to bring us a ruler, somebody who's going to bring us some, uh, some president or some congressman or senator or some leader who's going to finally do what we want. Somebody who's going to set things straight. That was the longing of the people of Israel. That was the longing of the people of the world. They wanted that peace. They wanted that leader who was going to bring it. And God promised it. You go back to, to 2 Samuel 7, and God promised King David that he would give him an eternal throne. An eternal throne. And that, that was some thousand years before Jesus was born. And in that time, he promised the people of Israel that the throne of David would continue forever. That's wonderful. But with every king that came along after him. You saw David, you saw his failings, and you saw Solomon's and his failings. And then Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and then the kingdom was split, and then you had all these other failings, and then Assyria came in, as we talked about last night. And then... From there, Babylon came in, and soon there was no kingdom of Israel. They were taken away. Where is this king? Where is this peace that God promised? And each of these kings was in this line of David that was going to carry on the key of David. The key of David is, 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 the symbol, is, is a symbol for, for authority and, and, and the, the rule of David, the throne of David. But each one of them failed, didn't they? Each one of them, you read about them, and even the good kings, even the ones who, who hung in there and, and did what was right most of the time, they died. The line did not continue on. Somebody sinful always came in and messed things up. And the longing for peace, the longing for that peace of Israel continued. The Psalms 122 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, pray for the peace of Israel. 
It was the longing. And today we pray for the peace of the world and the peace of America and the peace in our hearts and the peace in our families. We're praying for that. We're longing for it. When the king failed, the people felt it even more so. As the leader went, so the people went, so the nation went. The only one who could bring everlasting peace, as God promised, was the coming Messiah. Jesus, that long-for Messiah. And how was he going to do it? Throughout Scripture, we see two ways. Two ways that Jesus brought the rule of David, that he carried the key of David and brought the rule which will bring eternal peace. As Micah prophesied, he shall be their peace. And Paul declared, he is our peace. He did this through two ways. Two ways that none of the kings could do because of their sinful, broken because of their sinful hearts and their brokenness. And it was through humiliation and through exaltation. If you told a politician that the way you're going to bring true peace to our country and to this world is through humiliation, they would stop you right there. There's no way. But yet Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, the Word become flesh, took that very path of humiliation. As we saw last night, he chose not the little town of Bethlehem, not just the little town, but the insignificant town of Bethlehem. Insignificant. Not even counted among the clans of Judah, it says. And yet the Son of God chose that town. Now, there was a symbolism with David there to carry on that Davidic line and then the promise given to David, but it was an insignificant town forgotten about. He also chose insignificant parents. There was nothing special about Mary and Joseph. They were just insignificant to the rest of the world. He grew up living an insignificant life. Nobody knew him until later, until he came out publicly declaring his ministry and... and <laughs> That just got him put on the cross for a very humiliating death. Although he had it all, as was read last night in, in the prayer, although he had it all, as, as Paul says in Philippians 2, although he had equality with God and he didn't count that as something to take advantage of. He didn't count that as something he's going to come down and use for his advantage while he was here on earth. He emptied himself. He set it aside. The eternal king, the Messiah, took on the path of humiliation to, to rule and to bring the peace that he was sent to bring. He took the path of humiliation. In order for him to do this, think about this. To take the path of humiliation, think about the rest Think about the giving up of all self-interest and consider the faith that that requires for the Savior to rest in the Father's hands, to rest in the one who sent him, to rest in the power that comes from the Father. That's what the Savior did coming to earth, coming to be a man. 
He chose the path of humiliation, but in choosing that path of humiliation was great, perfect faith and trust in his heavenly Father that he constantly declared, I'm working because my Father is working. I and the Father are one. I can do nothing without the Father. He chose that path of humiliation knowing that the Father had him the entire time. And he said, if I am lifted up, or if I am lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. He knew that the Father, by lifting him up, would also exalt him. Lifting him up in death would also exalt him. Christ took the path of humiliation, and he was exalted. But what he was doing for his ministry was he was calling us to that same path. Constantly, he would call his disciples and say, follow me, follow me, follow me. The path he was calling them to follow was the same path he took, that path of humiliation. Because he knew the only way that we would be exalted is to follow him in the path of humiliation. As Matthew Henry says, a relation to Christ will magnify those that are little in the world. Christ not only brought rule through humiliation, but he brought it through exaltation. First, by seeing himself exalted in the cross, and then choosing insignificant people like you and me, calling us to himself and exalting us. One, one thing that, 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 that I thought of through this baseball season was there, there, there's... You think about a baseball. A baseball is about $10, maybe less. If you buy them in bulk, probably five bucks. Hundreds of baseballs are used in every major league game. Think about all the major league teams, all the games that are played, 165 games for each team. Imagine the number of baseballs, these $5 baseballs thrown everywhere, hit, thrown, pitched, caught, thrown out into the crowd, lost. And nobody cares which one is which. They're all the same. They're all insignificant. This one $5 ball one day gets pitched and hit over the fence by Albert Pujols. Happens to be the 700th time he did that. This $5 ball that nobody cared about. As soon as it went over the fence, people were diving over each other to get this ball. And you know, that ball, that $5 ball, just sold for $360,000 a few weeks ago. Why? Why? It's a baseball. It was the touch of the bat of Albert Pujols at the right time that made that, that brought value to that baseball, that exalted that baseball above all other baseballs. And now it's sitting in somebody's trophy case or will be traveled around and treated with kid gloves because no one's going to mess with that ball. Isn't that amazing? How much more does Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace, take us who are worthless? Nobody cares about us. 
I mean, our families do, but our worth, our worth in the eyes of God. We're not holy. We're not righteous. We're not powerful. And yet the Savior takes us, and even more so, endows us with his value, makes us one of his own. C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. He says, God became man to turn creatures into sons. Not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but it's like turning a horse into a winged creature. It's not mere improvement, it's transformation. The only way this could happen was through the Son of God taking the path of humiliation. And he calls us to do the same, to trust him, to trust the power that he has, to rest in him. Paul says in in 1 Corinthians, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This transformation that God brings upon us through Christ, if we call on him, if we trust ourselves to him, he will make us one with him. So that not only does he bring us peace, but being with one with the Prince of Peace, being actual members of his body, he is truly our peace. He is truly our shalom, the fullness of peace that no one understands because the Prince of Peace has won that for us. It's interesting when we think about how the kings of Israel would win battles and how politicians and leaders today win battles. They, they do it by building armies, by building arsenals, by building more weapons, greater weapons. But what the Prince of Peace did was he took every weapon that the enemy had to offer. Every, every weapon that the enemy can fire at him, he took it for us. He took the entire arsenal of the enemy, took it upon himself, and as Paul says, he nailed it to the cross. He nailed all of it to the cross to make it worthless, to make it useless, and it has no power against those who are in Christ. The peace comes from knowing that there is no harm coming to us from an enemy that is now powerless because of the work that Christ has done for us. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. God, the creator, the one who overcame the world. He did that so that we could be one with him. He didn't build an army. He built a body. He's calling us to be his body. And when we're his body, nothing's going to affect us. Nothing's going to hurt us. The enemy has no way with the body of Christ. No power over the body of Christ. Praise God for Emmanuel. Praise God that he came to be one with us.
Praise God that he took the path of humiliation, that he may be exalted and call us to the same and exalt us that we may be one with him. Praise God for Christmas morning. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for our, being our Prince of Peace. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know the peace that is already there for us. Lord, help us that we would know you in the way that you are calling us to know you. Help us to know you for who you actually are. And Lord, let the enemy have no way in our minds and our hearts, but let us be solely trusting in you, our Prince of Peace. Amen.